thanks for joining us today alex it's a pleasure to catch up with you and uh, my pleasure so welcome to the startup garage podcast so um let's dive right in and uh so you were born in spain you grew up in africa you did your education in uk and us and now you're in copenhagen so alex how have all these places shaped up your experiences and your personality wow that is such a big question <laughs> um i mean i would say so i have a french passport uh but i i would say i'm european you know if i could have a european passport i feel very much at home in the values right uh and the way this is built i am very much at home in denmark but i also unquestionably it shapes your personality if you spent your formative years in africa okay. giving you a perspective uh on what life is and you know what real challenges are um and yeah so so i don't know i'm a bit of a hybrid but i feel very much at home in in europe in european values and i think denmark i mean we're lucky to be in a small homogeneous country that's very well run relatively right right um and i think you know i love the way they've built the society and the both highly competitive but also very supportive so it's you know you can be successful you can be unfortunate and you'll be taken care of and that you know i'm i'm happily paying 60 plus percent tax but <laughs> i think uh you know i've gotten it back with when my son was sick and when i've been sick and you know i feel very much at home here that's amazing and i mean is that is that because so you have spent a lot of uh, formative years of yours in uh, in africa and then you went to uk and you and you went to us and you obviously would have seen there is a lot of difference in the kind of opportunities these people get uh in africa and the kind of opportunities that are there out west so is that the reason right now you're very much focused on impact uh driven startups and impact driven projects at rainmaking yeah it's a good question so it's, it's it's a mix of sort of personal and professional so on the personal side you know i left i went to an american high school in kinshasa in what was then zaire Okay. And you know, I really haven't been back. I've been back once or twice. I did a startup weekend I think back in Nairobi in 2010 or something. So there's something about closing a circle and saying, okay, maybe now is time. And by the way, it's not all Africa focused. Uh, impact is obviously much right, bigger. Right, right. Um with a rainmaking hat on, it's maybe more both an obligation and an opportunity. where we've been focused on what we call verticals so digital health fintech etc correct okay. and you know the, the sustainability is not a vertical it's a horizontal it goes everywhere right okay. but there is so much focus on it and i think i think there's agreement on the back of the covid crisis people are realizing what a crisis means and the climate crisis is way bigger potentially so there's a kind of window of opportunity to do something right and then closer to home with rainmaking ourselves we have an innovation toolbox which has been applied a lot to the regular pnl you know the core business right results um when we started looking we've actually done 50% of our projects are what we would call impactful so not necessarily impact design from day one but they are having some impact on uh sustainability you know it could be energy etc so we've already we're already halfway half of our projects are 
SDG impacting, I wouldn't say, you know, again, not impact design from bottom up. And we think that should be 70% and maybe, you know, soon 100%. Uh, so both opportunity and obligation. Right, right, right. And I mean, at, during my time at Rainmaking, I've worked on a couple of uh, impact projects, uh, particularly uh, from uh, Copenhagen area as well. Uh, so Alex, uh, Taking a step back, I mean, I wanted to know more about the idea of rainmaking and how you started off because uh, uh, helping companies prepare for the future and being ready to be investing in innovation that's going to come at a later point in time. I mean, how did that idea spark? Because the thing is, right now, companies companies only focus on what gives them instant gratification or, or they can they, they can see something down the line. But you made them invest in something that they could not properly see at that time and you made them see it so yeah how how did that how did that come about yeah so that last statement is partly true right because if you're familiar with the horizons you know right h1 h2 h3 sort of core uh adjacent and transformative there's actually a lot of innovation happening in core in h1 it just it's usually incremental and you know, uh, trying to squeeze out another half a percent of of some cost, but that you can still be innovative in those areas. But yes, in general, we're sort of saying, you know, let's make the bigger bets that have more impact longer. Um, so the history of rainmaking started by four serial entrepreneurs uh, in 2006-7. And the idea at the time was to pool their uh, respective uh, startups into a common pot so that if one was successful and another one wasn't, it was all shared and it was also a kind of ethos of doing things together. Right. And then, so there's been 35 plus startups, online, offline, high tech, low tech, all sorts of industries. Uh, and um, one of those startups was called Startup Bootcamp which I launched with Rainmaking in 2010, which is its accelerator. Right. Which, you know, we've now got over 900 alumni startups. And on the back of that, you know, we rode the open innovation movement. You know, so when I first started Startup Bootcamp 2010, no corporate would sponsor us. They were like, why would we work with startups? <laughs> right. You know, then there's been this massive wave, as you know, of many, many hundreds of accelerators. Right. And on the back of that, companies started approaching us and saying, you know, we love Startup Bootcamp, but we need a, a bespoke program for us, maybe for our own internal innovation or some specific challenge we're trying to solve. And now more and more venture building. So it was opportunistic in the sense of it was a way of continuing our impact on startups because uh, private investors are not going to fund 10 years of acceleration. Absolutely. They might do it once or twice. Right. Whereas corporates, there's always a thirst for innovation. Um, and then it was also, it's just a, a really cool business to be part of because we're, you know, we're at the intersection of really large companies with like big resources and really agile, innovative little startups. And we try and make them work together. And then sometimes we do that internally. We've run internal accelerators. And now more and more we're doing actual venture building, like building startups from scratch with some unique corporate asset behind it. Right. Um, so, you know, that's now over a hundred people globally and was growing fast until COVID where everything, you know, you can imagine has, right. has slowed down for a while, but you know, we're still excited about the future. 
Absolutely. And like you said, these are like huge companies and with very traditional business models like HSBC or Shell. You work with, I mean, tens of Fortune 500 companies which run a very prosaic, a very traditional approach to business. So while you were scaling up, I mean, I understand initially it might be inbound that uh, some of the companies were coming to you and asking you for some sort of uh, some sort of ideas that you have in terms of uh, startups and trying to match them with them. Uh, but how did you scale this up to such a level where more and more Fortune 500 companies were sort of connecting with you? And how did you sort of convince these traditional companies to spend so much on innovation? Yeah, I mean, I mean, for sure, there's been an evolution, right? So like I said, in 2010, when I was running my first startup bootcamp program, I went around with my hat. <laughs> and I said, you know, would, would companies like to sponsor this? And nobody wanted to. Right. And, you know, the you know, pay, open innovation movement has meant a lot of changes. So both on many levels, but, you know, startups, ecosystems. I mean, just in Copenhagen, you know, I was running a little meetup with 30 entrepreneurs in 2009. It was one of a few maybe. And then there's been these town halls with 1,200 people. So the whole startup thing has just exploded. And so many, many more people consider it a career or a calling. Whereas before, when I came out of school, you were either an entrepreneur or you were a corporate soldier. Those were two very different animals. So that's kind of a societal change. And more and more people on the corporate side, you know, on the other side of the table, you know, there's the mix of careers now. There's an ex-entrepreneur. So, for example, the guy we work with at IKEA had his own startup before. So the pop, you know, the, the demographic or the, the the profile of people we're working with is different. The other is just there's just been this uh, open innovation movement where people, you know, realize that there are many more smart people outside our company, as good as we are, um, than there is inside. There's these mechanisms of engaging. So accelerators is one. Uh, there are others where there's been this sort of structured access to external innovation, which has made it easier to work with startups or to launch their own. Um, and then, you know, it's a business like we've done, you know, built a brand and done business development and, you know, built a track record. And I mean, it's a startup, you know, we're doing all of the things you could imagine um, and constantly reinventing ourselves on what we do. So for example, you know, now it's much more about scale-ups, right. more mature startups that have ready-to-scale products. Correct. Whereas maybe five years ago, it was a lot of educating the corporates on working with startups, you know, sure. so a classic 1.0 accelerator with mentorship and all that. Now it's much more results-focused, P&L impact, and right. more and more planet impact, you know, SDGs. Right. Right, 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 right. Makes sense. And also, uh, since Alex, you said, you mentioned uh, COVID has uh, hit a lot of businesses and likewise, I'm pretty sure it does hit yours as well. And also, I think uh, the biggest change that COVID is driving is because every business is trying to cut down on their expenses. And while they're cutting down on expenses, I believe that a lot of them would also be very hesitant or skeptical to invest in innovation right now. So according to you, how important is it is for companies to invest in innovation even at this point? And why is it important? Well, I mean, the evidence is super clear and you can read, you know, Harvard Business School studies Absolutely. on it. You can read McKinsey studies, you know, passed from the 2000 tech bubble, the 2008 financial crisis. The companies which 10 years after the crisis are way ahead of the others are the ones who doubled down on innovation 
right after the crisis. The ones who only slashed their way to survival, so, you know, cut thousands of people, cut everything, yeah. that's okay in the short term. You know, you protect your, your, your cash. But uh, meanwhile, those who are doubling down are running way ahead. So, I mean, the evidence is super clear. Now's the time. Uh, and there's other compelling reasons. I've said this to other people, but, you know, the COVID crisis has kind of opened up, I think, a temporary uh, uh, risk appetite for change. And the classic example is, you know, we've been talking about telehealth for 10 or 20 years. And then all of a sudden there are thousands, millions of consultations yeah. happening yeah. online because all of the blockages, all of the constituents and the regulatory bodies and all that, they're like, get out of the way. I need to talk to my doctor <laughs> because I can't see my doctor physically. Right. And so right. there's been this just this kind of steamrolling of resistance. And that's not going to last. I think, you know, we very quickly go back to uh, our usual risk appetite, uh, you know, risk aversion. But th there's a window where you go, okay, I can squeeze in that crazy project right now because people are open to change. Right. Right. You know, right. Um, so, so there's both evidence like academic, empirical evidence continue to invest that is proven. And then there's also maybe more opportunistic, almost behavioral, societal openness to drive some big projects. Right, right, right. And do you think this uh, be, this uh, behavioral change in uh, the consumers, uh, is it going to stick? I mean, uh, but what, how do you think uh, post-COVID era would look like? Uh, would this behavioral change continue to stick or would it go back or would it be somewhere in the middle? Yeah, I think it's mixed in so many, you know, it's all over the shop. Uh, will tourism be the same? You know, will business travel go back to index 100? I find that hard to believe. Right, right. You know, there's, there's so many taboos have been broken about when do you go on an airplane to meet a customer versus is it okay to do it online? So I, I don't right. see some things going back to baseline. On the other hand, I think we have very short memories. Um, <laughs> you know, and within a year or two of the financial crisis, banks were paying themselves, you know, massive, uh, massive bonuses. And like, we, we yeah. really do have, you know, it's a bit cynical, but like, you know, greed and cynicism, yeah. unfortunately, quite, quite, uh, soon come back up. But, but I, I do hope, you know, one of the most optimistic, one of the biggest hopes would be that now there's a realization that when we say crisis, as in climate crisis, it's not a joke. Like you can Correct. see what a virus can do to the globe in, in weeks. And the, the problem with the climate crisis has been much slower and harder to see for everyone at the same time in the same way. And I hope now people go on. And it seems like, I don't know, at least 40% of sea level are saying sustainability is high on our agenda. That's still way too low, but it's uh, it's more than ever. Right, right, right. And what is what is the way forward for you? What is on your mind right now? I mean, going forward, since you said uh, uh, there's going to be now there's going to be more focus on environmental impact of every project that uh, that industrial companies do, and even startups they're going to be focusing more on that area. So are you planning on doubling down on uh, on your impact set impact vertical in rainmaking what what changes are you going to get Yeah totally um both as an obligation and as an opportunity and uh, so we've identified you know we've we've looked at so the SDGs sustainable development goals are right. 
you know, their vocabulary, a taxonomy, a way of organizing. Right, right. Uh, but we've been reading the targets underneath each one mm-hmm. and looking at the key areas where we think we have uh, the levers, you know, we can influence. So we can't influence, uh, you know, foreign direct investment in infrastructure. Okay. Uh, but we can influence corporate innovation um, um, or, you know, uh, more specifically around maybe, you know, energy, uh, renewable right. energies or water, things like that. So we're doubling down on three SDGs, 7, 11, and 12. So I don't know if I'm in the right order, but basically portable energy, uh, sustainable cities, and responsible consumption and production. And under these is all of the kinds of projects we've done with the NG energy company or, um, you know, the decarb program, decarbonization program we're doing in Singapore that, that has Shell and big shipping companies, et cetera. Right. Um, so we're getting smarter about, you know, where we focus. Right. Um, and we're, we're in a mode of proposing more, um, you know, saying coming up with a key challenge and saying we're going to do something on this. So DCARB, the DCARB program is a great example of that. We said, look, decarbonization is being pushed both by the regulatory and by the consumer. We're going to run a program on this. Are you in or not? And the demand has been great. So we're looking now for the other clear sort of challenge areas that we can group people around. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense, Alex. So we'll be looking forward to more news coming in from Rainmaking about uh, these projects and these innovations uh, during and post-COVID. And Alex, uh, thanks a lot for doing this. And uh, I, I really appreciate you taking out time and uh, doing it. So My pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. Lovely to connect. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye.